Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we are talking about the digital revolution that's sort of rocking the world in a lot of different ways. Every parts of our lives, both professional and personal. Really happy to have today with us a very dear friend of mine, brilliant thinker, successful business executive, entrepreneur, and a great military leader who's helped protect our country as part of the United States Marine Corps for a number of years. Christian Anschutz has been a chief information officer, a chief digital officer, always discovering, always thinking, always tinkering. Christian, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for taking some time to be with us here today. Well, thank you for the kind introduction. I can't help but say, you know, if there's an award to be given to anybody that does the kindest, the best uh, introductions, it's got to go to you. I mean, you should, you should have in this Zoom picture, you should definitely have some sort of you know, gold figurine or something behind you for the for the award that you're talking about here. Oh, that reminds me. You turn off the phone. That's probably a good idea. Oh, I thought I thought that was a sound effect you had to come on for your very nice, you know, flow back to me. The, the glittering <laughs> tones. Well, you except for you would have recognized it as an iPhone ringtone. Well, yeah, yeah. No, Christian, it's it's really great. Um, you know, Christian had been one of our first guests here on Cloud Wars Live almost two right. years ago. We've been doing that now up to 200 episodes. And I just wanted to tell everybody that Christian has made the transition from the corporate world where he had been the chief digital officer at UL and is now uh, just cranked up a bunch of things on his own. Christian, I hope you'll tell us a little bit about that. But also I wanted to introduce this the, or toss out this theme that you wanted to suggest here. It's a pretty big one. And I think in the hands of some people, it might be a little scary. I think you're uniquely qualified to talk about a pretty big subject. So tell us a little bit about what's on your mind. Well, <laughs> so again, there's so much uh, on the mind of, of each of us these days. It's kind of a kind of a crazy world. And I think we're all thinking at least, maybe we're thinking differently or we're thinking about different things. I'm unsure, maybe, maybe a little bit of both. Um, and for my part, uh, based on that intro, I, I've had a, a very interesting uh, series of things happen over the last, uh, let's call it 18 months or so. Uh, it culminated with me, uh, you know, taking a break from my, uh, my role as a member of a management team of a large corporation where I was the chief digital officer. And, uh, and, and, and leaving that earlier this year to build a house. And when I say build a house, I don't mean, you know, I'm paying someone to build a house. I don't mean like I'm general contracting and organizing people to build a house. I'm the general contractor, the owner, and actually the uh, penny laborer. <laughs> I do have some qualified people helping me, but I'm actually building a house. And you might ask right now, if you're listening, what does that have to do with what you know Bob introduced or was talking about? Well, it's funny how I went from the this pinnacle of working in high tech large enterprise, transformation, digital businesses, platforming a company and building a house and the similarities between the problems. Because in the end, I got 99 problems and every last one of them are people. And it doesn't matter if you're doing the high tech work or you're doing like the most basic trades person work of you know plumbing, electrical, et cetera. It all comes down to people, motivating people, understanding you know, how to get them to uh, do what you need them to do, how to let them have it your way and, and accomplish whatever the goal or the mission is. And so that's been kind of on my mind is just how shockingly similar the challenges have been from going from super high tech to sort of one of the most basic human activities, which is building a home. So 
Christian, uh, I just want to ask again here. So you are the guy, you're doing the plumbing, the wiring, the foundation, concrete, fine cabinetry and all, all the way through? Well, little bits of all that. So I've done everything from putting on shingles to siding to building decks and putting in railings. The, the good news is, is I've had a lot of subcontractors, uh, you know, helping me with like the, um, you know, like the electric, for example, like the plumbing. Those are things you kind of want to avoid getting wrong. And yet, nonetheless, I've done some of that work myself. And then I got an expert, uh, um, a master uh, builder here who's uh, assisting me. And in many cases, a lot of what I do is I move material from point A to point B, then to B to A, then A to B to B to A. It's terrible uh, work sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I let the people that are really, truly qualified to do the work, do the work. And then my job is really to coordinate the effort around the outcome, which is to build a beautiful home. And again, there's, there's some of the similarities. I mean, as a leader in a large organization, do you do the work or do you mostly make the decisions to help other people? Uh, do the work. And in fact, if you make the decisions, are you making them or are you facilitating those decisions uh, amongst the people themselves? Hopefully it's a ladder because uh, you want to talk about universal truths. Uh, Buy-in is being, is, is absolutely critical to any major transformation. You know, that perhaps the, uh, Bob, a thing for us to think about is really sort of the topic of this universal truth is actually, you know, how to do transformation without the chaos. And you can avoid a lot of the chaos by simply understanding, really deeply understanding uh, what makes people tick, uh, how to get the very best out of people, how to, what do you need to do to model the right behaviors, uh, et cetera. And in the high tech space where technology changes all the time, well, 6 million years of evolution make it so that we as people change rather, rather slowly. And taking that into consideration, having good tactics and mechanisms to cope with it, I think is critical. Yeah. And if we are too overly focused on making every decision, then we tend to block out things that we see, things that we hear, feedback we're getting because it, it runs counter to our decision, right? And that, that I think rolls up to your point about empathy and the ability to see things through somebody else's eyes. Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, absolutely uh, incredibly important that we acknowledge that people um, have different perspectives. And while we might not understand them, uh, we do take them into consideration. We do respect them. You know, it is an interesting point, and this isn't a political statement at all. It's, it's a general statement about leadership. Uh, is, as leaders, our job as leaders is really to unite as opposed to divide, right? And, and this whole idea of uniting people, uh, giving them a, a, a singular vision of which they can be a part of, of which they can all buy into and then help execute against that's well actually the firms that do that well are the ones that are extraordinary the ones that do it average which is most companies hence the term average well they they're the ones that are usually kind of milling about and they're not very clear on this and i mean let me ask you a question let me turn the tables bob you're you're a super smart guy you were the chief communication officer for oracle for crying out loud i mean this is this is a big deal i mean why is it that we just you know, just take it as a given and accept uh, in large enterprises that nearly half the workforce is not engaged. I mean, I, 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 I why is not every single HR professional uh, in, in these firms fired? I mean, their most valuable asset is only firing on 50% of his cylinders. Why is that? 
Of course, if you ask them, they'll say, well, that's not my organization, that's everybody else. And there's another universal truth. It's never me that needs to change. It's everybody around me that needs to change. But what, why, why does that exist? Bob, I mean, why do we have such disengagement in our, in our firms? Why, why is this such a, such a problem? Or is it not really a problem? And it's just something that some consulting firms say in order to you know, get more money out of HR pockets. No, Kristen, I, I, look, I, uh, I think that you, know, you could track this down to a lot of finer things. I think it's fear. And uh, maybe I'm at a point in my life or my career where this just bubbles up more. And I, I think that fear which can be a useful thing in certain situations. People need it to be able to survive certain stuff. But I think we carry too much of that fear into other stuff, fear about the monthly results, fear about the, what about this quarter, fear about being seen as uh, somebody who takes too many risks or not enough risks, or what about that? What if, you know, people don't like me? What about if I stand out when I just rather fit in? And what about if I take a risk and it doesn't pay off? What about if I try something different and the boss doesn't like, you know, I, and I understand we've all got to, you know, to be part of a team, you got to have a little bit of those, those things in mind, but I just think everybody's focused on what they don't want to do, or they're afraid of doing, and they're not putting enough time and effort and energy into what they need to do and go forward. And to me, that's the ultimate essence of leadership is setting up an environment and a situation is a, a, a opportunity, a framework of trust here where people can be willing to take risks, be willing to be the one in the room that says, hey, you know what, this is not a good idea. Just because we've done it this way for the last five or 10 or 100 years, there's no reason that we should continue to do it that way. In fact, that ought to be one of the things that's make us saying, why don't we do something differently? And I just think, Christian, the greatest organizations, you go in and talk to them, you can feel it, right? Among all the people, they're not afraid to speak up. They're not afraid to take a position. They're not afraid to listen. And they're not afraid to say, we are doing a crap job at this, this, and this. And if we don't change that, our customers sure as heck have lots of other places they can go give their money to. So I, I might be wildly oversimplifying that, but I'd, I'd plop that one on your list of universal truths is fear plays too much a part of our uh, uh, lives in among business leaders. And we got to find ways to push that out and not be afraid to do the right things at, rather than just settling for the expected things or in some cases, the easy things. Well, when you're right, you're right. I mean, I, as you know, I spent, uh, uh, as you mentioned, I spent some time in the military and as soon as I got out of the military or sh shortly thereafter, I went into advertising. Now everybody says, and or at least everybody is familiar with that for, uh, saying um, that sex sells. The only thing that sells better than sex is fear, fear of being uh, left out, fear of not being in the know, fear of not being in this group when you want to be in that group and you believe, you know, it goes on and on and on. And then when you talk about that fear and you couple it with the, with leaders, I mean, the, one of the biggest problems large organizations have is they have this fortification of the executive ego. And so there's just this huge fear of our corporate leaders to not have the answer. There's all this fear of our leaders to say, I could be wrong. There's a fear of our leaders to acknowledge to their own people, I don't know. And then there's that fear exists because of an absence of what you mentioned. There's a lack of a trust work 
framework that says, hey, I don't know, but I trust that you do, which actually is a much easier path, by the way, as a, as a leader of large teams and large organizations. It's very easy to say, I don't know. In fact, it's not my job to know. My job is to enable you to know and then to act on what you know. Kristen, you know, along that, if I could connect another perhaps universal truth to that is I, I would say that uh, if you would ask whatever universe, a thousand, 10,000, 10 million uh, corporate executives, true or false, the people are our most important asset. hundred uh, percent of those, whatever size universe is going to say true. And then you ask three or four fairly simple questions after that. And uh, do you do this? No. Do you do this? No. And which clearly disproves, you know, this belief that they're your most important asset. We say it, but we don't often enough do it. And if, uh, if you just mouth the cliche and you don't live it throughout there, you know, people are pretty smart. And like you said, 6 million years of evolution, um, got to be able to keep something up in our head. And we, people smell a phony environment or they smell something that, you know, we say this, but we do this. And there's one rule for, and I just love that, the fortification of the executive ego. My God, if there's ever something that, you know, I would think is the definition of loser. It is somebody who gets in a position where you could do some great things, but instead you default to this notion said, I'm gonna, uh, uh, I'm gonna reinforce a culture of the fortification of the executive ego. What a miserable way to spend your life. Yeah, and again, it's, uh, you know, the, the, there's two emotions that you would think would be the, you know, based on what we're talking about, there's two emotions competing for that top spot, which do we, you know, experience more fear or maybe love. And then sadly, it's way too much of the uh, fear category than it is the love. If you spend a little bit more time, our leaders, and I got, I know this now it's all soft and all sorts of stuff. You know, I'm invoking Christopher uh, Lockhead here. I'm just, I'm not afraid to be different here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, I've seen so many uh, corporate leaders and corporations just struggle. I mean, they just, especially now in this day and age of this rapid transformation of not just tech, not technology, but of, of people, Right. And at the same time, business models. I mean, that's really where the action's at. And the number one thing that keeps these large incumbents from being successful is the status quo. And it's the fear of getting off that crack pipe of this is our revenue streams today. And let me not do anything whatsoever to possibly interrupt or change that. And let me not in any way create the culture that will allow us to challenge ourselves in the marketplace and let us not in any way. Um, you know, sort of create the internal capabilities that certainly the external forces will develop and that we will be adversely uh, impacted by. And uh, again, these are, this is, this is fear, uh, this is uncertainty, and it is uh, manifest itself in those organizations uh, where you see uh, an absence of, you know, a, a trust framework, as you said. And, you know, the good news is that can all be addressed. It's just do the firms have the courage, the leaders have the courage to think about things differently. And by the way, and then I'll stop my monologue here, there can be no courage without fear. So we're all afraid. It's a universal truth. We're all afraid of something. It's all right. I'm a Marine. I mean, I, I will always be a Marine. There's plenty of things that scare me. But in the face of fear, the question is, can you overcome it? And the answer needs to be far more often, yes. We have to be able to overcome our fears. Uh, and we 
candidly can do that better with people than on our own. Well, Christian, it sounds like, you know, companies that are able to acknowledge that fear and then focus time and effort on how do I overcome this are going to be able to operate on what I think we might call the A game, which is a good lead in for a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless. And when technology and people work as one in an enterprise, the A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. Um, Kristen, I, I really love that. And since this is, uh, you know, your, your sort of return here to Cloud Wars Live after a little bit. But there's been another part of your experience over the last few years that I, I would love to just have you bring this up a little bit as well. You founded a nonprofit called Project Relo uh, to help military veterans as they make the transition from the military life into the, the private sector. Would you talk a little bit about that and how that maybe touches on some of these universal truths that you've raised? Well, thank you for that. Uh... And thanks for the nod to Project Relo. It's a, I'd say it's a pet project of mine, except for I kind of handed the reins off on it some time ago. And so it's, a, I'm like the proud parent uh, that is watching the child continue to develop and grow. Uh, you know, the Project Relo is just founded on a real simple uh, concept that it's easier to appreciate people when you understand them. That's it. It, it and it doesn't matter the the orientation, the, 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 the race, any of the things that we might, you know, squabble about right now in the news or whatnot. When you get to know a group of people, you have a tendency to really like those people. And so uh, what Project Relo uh, uh, build upon that uh, concept is we said, look, we need, uh, we need our corporate leaders, our very most senior uh, executives leading some of our biggest and best firms in this country to have a true uh, understanding of the nature and the character of our uh, women and men in uniform. And so what we did is we've partnered with the uh, United States Army and the Department of Defense, and we run uh, pseudo-military exercises on military bases where we teach uh, leadership and provide military experiences to these corporate leaders using transitioning military members and veterans as the leadership instructors. The point of it is, is not just to give a great leadership training experience to the corporate executive, it is to do that. But in the process of doing it, they get to see these incredibly bright women and men in uniform uh, and, and see what they're truly capable of. And in the process of so doing, develop a deep, meaningful appreciation of these people and say, they don't need to reboot their uh, careers when they get out of the military. No, let's put them at the appropriate levels in, in our respective firms where we can take advantage of those soft skills that have been refined and honed over time and during their service to our nation. But I don't need to talk about it because you're uh, an alumni of Project Relo. I mean, what did you think of it? You, you actually got dirty, you know, did the uh, you handing, handling a 50 caliber machine gun or at least a M14 in the EST and you were doing convoy operations, radio communications. I mean, what did you think of it all? Well, what I was struck by and um, I come from a family, uh, I did not serve, but many people in my family did across the different branches and the respect I've always had for them. But I, I just saw this in these people 
that, uh, you know, from all different walks of life, the veterans, right? And they, you know, some of the universal things were a sense of humility, good listeners too, that I really thought, and I, I, I found that quite quickly. What struck me about him, Christian, were these highly capable people, but in some ways it was a language barrier, right? They had a language that applied to their world. So perhaps there were a certain number of acronyms or terminology that spoke very eloquently inside the military. But when they took that language and tried to plop it into a corporate world, it was a little bit like, huh? You know, what, what, what does that mean? When, if you could break that down a little and sort of put it through the uh, translation machine, it equaled so many of the truly mission critical issues that businesses are facing today. I mean, the solutions are right there. It's just a matter of a little, uh, you know, uh, what, what is that thing? The Rosetta Stone you know, to be able to translate it. So on the one hand, you have these veterans who had all the skills, but not quite the context a term that you mentioned a few minutes ago, the context to be able to apply it here. And you had so many of the corporate people who do not have most of them a military background and they're hearing this stuff and they're saying, eh, nah, I don't get it. Doesn't, you know, I'm not hearing those recurring themes that I wanna see seven years of running supply chain operations eight years of doing direct mail, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. So uh, it, it speaks very much, I think, to your sense, you got to get to know people. And if you let that happen first, say, well, he's a pretty smart individual. He's done stuff all over the world in intensely high pressure situations, worked with every sort of person that you could ever imagine confronting, has done it with high integrity, high results. I think I want to have that person inside my organization. And if I'm shallow enough, or if my organization is brittle enough that we are unable or unwilling to get through some pretty simple translation exercises, then we're going to get the outcome we deserve. Yeah, so uh, so uh, appropriate for the Oracle's uh, former chief communication <laughs> officer to really kind of notice, uh, you know, the difference in, in language and, and the lexicon and whatnot. And, and, you know, again, and speaking in terms of universal truths, I mean, the, the military members, they want to get out and they want to continue to do good in the world, just like everybody else that's not in the military. Um, one of the problems that we see, though, is that, and this is kind of speaks to that engaged or disengaged workforce, is they get out and they go to their first place and they are used to working in a high, highly um, team-focused environment where they care about each other and what they're doing more than they care about their own individual, uh, you know, promotion and succession and, and, and whatnot. And then they get into these environments and it's not like that. It's just uh, doggy, you know, uh, uh, very competitive uh, landscape. It, it, there's some, there's an absence of, of unity, of uh, cohesion, and then they, they leave because the organizations candidly aren't prepared to deal with people uh, that, uh, you know, actually consider, consider the, the greater good. And it's, boy, what a shame, actually, because isn't that, I mean, isn't with all the stuff going on in the world right now, isn't that more than ever the kind of people, uh, yeah. you know, the women and men we need in our organization? I would submit, yeah, I would submit, in, indeed, that is the case. Um, but 70% of uh, military members get out will change jobs in the first year. And I, I almost am loathe to say that because that makes it seem like then the military members are, are a bad bet. Uh, I think the reality is, is that most firms are actually a bad bet to join 
Yeah. Because you, they don't feed the, the, you know, they don't feed the essence, the soul of what people want. I mean, do you think yeah. people just want, is the number one thing that people want is a paycheck? Yeah. The answer is no. Even the HR folks out there understand that. And HR in most firms don't really understand people all that well in the first place, right? They're functionary yeah. roles, right? And uh, they know that monetary compensation is somewhere around number five in the order of priorities of what satisfies a person. But do they spend any time focusing on priorities number one, two, three, and four? I think we should ask ourselves that. And then again, going back to this whole digital transformation, I mean, if you have a largely disengaged workforce that you have a hard time motivating to go see that there's a great potential and future for them and for the firm together, you got to hit both. And it's in this new direction or possibly in these two or three, four other new directions that are explorations and some will fail. And by the way, failure is okay as long as we learn from it. If you can't build a, a, a workforce and a culture together that allows your people to kind of feel, think and, and witness uh, that, then you know, you're, gonna, you're gonna be the typical incumbent and you're gonna struggle mightily, especially in the years to come. Yeah, yeah, Christian, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of these, uh, it, it's interesting with the tech companies, uh, with the rise of the cloud over the last several years, the cloud native companies in some ways, they, they've had this and they got to that spot a little sooner. The, some of the bigger companies have gotten there as well. But what I mean is, right, the, the traditional model was, you know, the big companies made the software, the customer came in and bought, uh, I love that term, perpetual license. And, you know, so often the customers, the buyers would describe as like, well, it's kind of like they, they pull up to your loading dock, they dump off a load of CDs, they grab a paycheck and the, the truck roars away as quickly as possible, right? It's your software, your problem, you deal with it. But they've all had now with the cloud to develop these customer success organizations. So I've been interested to watch that and how much, you know, everybody says, oh, yes, you know, our, uh, people are our most valuable asset and we're totally committed to customer success, but then the organizational structure is sort of the, the investment they put behind that and the emphasis they're trying to give it don't often match up to those lofty terms. And I think the most successful companies are doing more and more of that. And the other thing that I think they're doing, which is so interesting, part of the digital transformation thing you mentioned is the technology is a part of it. And as you've mentioned, it's so much more about the people. So take that ego of your business model take the ego out of it a little bit like microsoft i think one of the reasons i've had it number one on my list of the biggest and most influential cloud vendors is because microsoft's sales organization is willing to sell its customers solutions out to the world it's willing to sell its partners solutions out to the world instead of the old model of i make you sell and you know that's it so you do this new way of co-creating value, co-creating innovation, co-creating better experiences for people. And you take that old world notion of I do this, you do that and pass it down the line, you know, and don't, don't rock that model, right? Because that's how we do things, which rolls up to CEOs or different executives hearing a new idea and saying, eh, yeah, that's not what we do. That's not how we do it. And idea dies, people, feel like, well, I see where this company's headed and, you know, I'll ride it out for a couple of years. Or they say, I got to get the hell out of here as quickly as possible. This company is, you know, they're, they've got two, uh, it's a woolly mammoth with two legs in the tar pit and they don't even know it. 
Yeah, uh, you know, I love that. Yeah, that I'm going to steal that. They're a woolly mammoth with two legs in the carpet. Uh, actually, I, I'd say uh, a significant percentage. I'm unable to say what that percentage is, but a significant percentage of, of these uh, incumbents out there, they're they're walking dead or they're zombie firms. And yeah, you're right. They don't even know it. And they, they think everything is fine, right? But they don't necessarily really understand sort of the, what's happening with the various S-curves of business. They don't know how they're going to go from the, the, the cash cow and, you know, in the BCG language to go from the cash cow into, you know, the, the arena where they have a lot of question marks, which are going to become their future stars. They just simply, they don't know how to sort of regenerate and renew uh, their companies. And that's because, again, they're addicted to that, that intravenous crack addiction that they have, where the crack is their, their current income models, right? I mean, I, I can't imagine that um, firms right now aren't scared to death. Uh, because markets are shifting so fast. And how do companies know? Now, how do companies know that their products remain as, as relevant to their target segments as they need them to be? And more importantly, that they're going to be relevant to those target segments as those target segments continue to shift. Um, you know, the, there's two things that separate the, the great firms from everybody else. Two processes, excuse me, two processes or capabilities that separate the great firms from everybody else. And the first one is strategy. And the second one is governance. Strategy is basically giving an outline of what we're going to execute in terms of, uh, you know, this... Uh, uh, you know, what is our vision? Where are we going? How are we going to apply resources, et cetera? And governance is that, if I may steal from uh, um, a, a very famous and, and much more eloquent person, it's about the ruthless prioritization and the execution of that strategy. And, uh, and then, of course, there's two processes or two capabilities that most firms really stink at, and they happen to be strategy and governance. And, uh, you know, this is talk about it. this isn't a universal human truth. It seems to be a universal corporate America truth. Uh, and, and I don't know why uh, we're so bad at strategy and we're so bad at governance. And in this day and age, firms that do not have a strategy, not a digital strategy, but a contemporary strategy that allows them to figure out not only how to continue to protect their core business model, but evolve it and move into entirely new business models well, those are the those woolly mammoths that you're talking about. Yeah. They have at least two legs in the tar pit, and they don't even realize that they're listing to one side as they sink. Yeah, yeah. And Kristen, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I don't mean from what I've said here to, you know, to imply, you know, any sort of evil or nefarious motives of some of these people. I just think it's, right, you get caught up in your internal stuff, right? You're spending too much time and you're inside the headquarters wall. What's the analog today? Because not spending time in, but, you know, inside the corporate hive or mind, you know, via Zoom, via conference calls. But um, I, I won't identify this company, although it's come up in this conversation. But I, when I started there, uh, I'd been there a couple months. I was invited to a meeting where they were reviewing uh, one of their big events, right, where they'd have, you know, customers and partners from all over the world come in, you know, 50,000 people. And I, I watched this sort of little overview. Here's what we're going to do. And Somebody said, any questions? I raised my hand and I said, well, yeah, I see that um, on the big stage all week long, it's, it's our executives. I said, what's the chance of getting a customer up on that big stage? And I did get that look from, you know, several people around the room looking at me like, what the hell sort of question is that? Where did you come from? And so I tried to rephrase the question. I said, why don't we showcase what the customers are doing? 
And finally, somebody, you know, sort of condescending there, sort of spit out, said, said, we don't have any time to put customers on the main stage. And again, I scratched my head. I thought, well, don't we create the schedule for our own event? Yeah, but by the time we get boom, 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 up, there's no room left for customers. I said, you know, call me silly, but I think we might want to think about that a little bit. We just might want to take the responsibility to change the agenda a little to do this. But it, it, it was... It was as hard and solid and impermeable walls I've ever run into in that conversation. They had never considered it. And they thought that my suggestion of it was somewhere between, you know, preposterous and asinine. But nobody said this, but the very distinct feeling I got was you just shut up for a little while longer, get to understand what we do and the rules we play by in the box we're in. And then you won't ask stupid questions like that anymore. And everybody has to sit back at a point like that and say, okay, it's my choice. I chose voluntarily to come to this company. What am I going to do? Am I going to get in line and shut up and just ask the questions that they, you know, everybody else does, or am I going to speak up about this? So, uh, and today, right. The, you know, forget the COVID world and all the stuff we're going to with remote things, but right, the power has shifted to the employees. People have so many more choices of places to go to work. And I think, Christian, that whole dynamic is just going to hasten the demise. You know, the woolly mammoths are going to get that third and fourth leg in their pronto. And at some point, they're going to look around and say, you know, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get out of this tar pit. And uh, I'm sinking faster than I, than I thought I was. So, um, you know, maybe that's a little bit of some Darwinian uh, field clearing that has to happen, you know, out with some of the bad and in with the good. And we've got this rise of entrepreneurial society and people that are living, thinking differently, coming out in different ways. So I feel very optimistic about sort of the incoming folks that have this fresh outlook and that different approach to people. And I hope that because there's so much capability left in some of these big incumbents, I think you called them, that I hope they can get their mind turned around more quickly and say, this is the direction the future is headed in, right? You've got a huge swath of opportunity side to side. You can go do whatever you want in that future, but you've got to get going in that direction or else, you know, the, your, your time here is going to come to an end. Well, you know, I almost interrupted you because you had me so fired up. Oh, you said, yeah, go. You know, I hope you have a bleep mode. I mean, you've had Lockhead on here. You might be able to not asinining, asinine. It's freaking asinine. I'm saving the uh, the blip of how companies simply fail to focus on their customer. I mean, we don't have time for the customer in your story. That was at least the overt statement where that's actually how most companies act. And so again, now you get up into the higher ranks of an organization where these, the fortification of the egos are the strongest, right? And everything that they think they know about the customer, they actually don't know because they know it now second or third hand. And those are people that are talking to customers in the context of the business that I do today. So if I sell a widget right here, right? And I go to my customer, what do you want of this widget? Well, they're, the typical answers are going to be some spectrum of I want it better, faster, cheaper. When I, the real answer is because you don't understand the problem I have, you don't actually understand that there's 
no need for this widget altogether over here because there's this new capability and technology over there. And by the way, I'm not aware of it, but as soon as I do, I'm gonna leave you and I'm going in this new path, which you could have known if you spent the time with your customers in the first place to learn what their problem sets really are, not just what they say, but what they really are. Because remember, Bob, when you're, if you were talking to uh, a customer in the context of corporation XYZ, and XYZ makes a widget A, they're gonna say, oh, widget A, I know you, you make great widget A's, thank you. Not fully understanding that you actually could be a solution provider that solves a full spectrum of their uh, problems. Now, technology companies are generally better at that, uh, you know, developing this, you know, full set um, uh, solution uh, capability. Yet, then let me ask you this. If companies are bad at focusing on their customers, I mean, how good are they really then at focusing on their own colleague, yeah. right? And so you might get to the point where you think you have a better solution set or you can offer a solution set, but if you can't get your colleagues on board, uh, then you got another problem. And a, a great, one of my favorite examples was Boeing. Uh, this is a little bit dated, but Boeing, you know, when the Dreamliner was, uh, you know, in the works, they said, you know, they changed their perspective. We don't make airplanes. We're revolutionizing flight. Now, this is really important because they projected that message to the marketplace. But just as importantly, they had to project that internally because your workforce, if they're making airplanes, they'll do a thing. If they're revolutionizing flight, well, those are the same people that are gonna come up with the brilliant idea of polarizing the glass. So you don't have those nasty shades you have to pull up and down, right? You just hit a button. They're the ones that are gonna come up with, you know, new dimensions of how your seating arrangement should be in the first class of a Dreamliner. That's what you get when you get a workforce revolutionizing flight. And then you have a receptive market that wants a revolutionized flight experience. Boeing did a really nice job with that at the time. I, they've had some significant struggles. Um, and again, so my, I'm going a little bit back in time, but it's a, that was a great example of, of an external marketing message that also that addressed the customer, but then brought the colleagues along at the same time. Absolutely critical. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen, I, I love that. And uh, I think you, you bring this all around in some ways to leadership. Right? Am I going to, try to tell people that, you know, your world here is all about coming in and manufacturing airplanes, which is a perfectly noble endeavor. It's a great thing, a fine thing, or is it this higher calling, you know, and to have this revolution, to drive this revolution, to push it farther, faster, better than we ever thought possible. We need everybody's involvement and we're going to do things differently here in a way so that we really do trigger this revolution and not just some sort of slightly different variation of the stuff we've done for the last 40, 50, 60, 80, 120 years. It's, uh, you know, it, it's very exciting. And Christian, I want to ask you as we sort of wrap up here a little bit and, uh, you know, uh, volume one of Universal Truths, give everybody please a little bit about some of your thinking on Universal Truths, what they are, what are the two or three or four big themes that you'd like to hit on and uh, that you think are as people, you know, run this through their head and try to, you know, what are the takeaways here? What what are the the few points that you want to be sure that people are, are walking away with? Well, I I, um, I, I would say, Bob, there's probably a couple, uh, but let's kind of stay in the context of what we talked about here. Yeah. So I, I would say that let, let's let's hit three for today. Sure. Uh, one, uh, fear is ever present, 
And the companies that address the fear, recognize that it's there, address it and do their best to alleviate it and instill courage in their workforce, that is through accepting mistakes, that is promoting a culture of learning versus uh, sort of repercussion. Organizations that understand uh, fear and are able to uh, capitalize on a workforce's ability to get past it are gonna win. Um, that would be number one. I'd say number two is uh, this idea of uh, empathy. And I wanna say empathy in a, in a broad set where we're understanding both the market and the customers in the market. So let's say that's just one, the market and the customers in your, your target segment. And also understanding what it are, uh, makes our workforce tick and where we can bring the capabilities of a firm and a workforce tied hand in hand to those capabilities to a waning and wanting market, especially in new and innovative ways. Well, now you're gonna win. So the first one is acknowledge fear, uh, address it in no small part, via empathy. And then the last one is the role of leadership. Uh, six million years of evolution, we will not be denied. We are still inspired by many of the same things we always were. There's 50,000 books on leadership out there. And I mean, most would argue, I would think most would argue, I'd like to hear your, com uh, your uh, listeners' comments on this. I think we would say we actually have worse leaders now than we did in the past. But there's more information out there. There's more perspectives. Do this to lead that way. Do that to lead this other way. No, we're still just humans, right? And so there's some basic things we need to do. And the role of leadership in instilling a culture that overcomes fear, that creates the capability and the competitive differentiator, sorry, the, the competitive differentiator of having uh, empathy, that is absolutely critical for those firms that want to win and continue winning into the, into the future. And so I would just, those would be the three things from this conversation that I would say would be the, um, uh, the three main takeaways around uh, the role of fear, empathy, and leadership. I, I, I can't help but repeating some, we all know this, but we are seeing uh, more in 2020, more things happen more quickly, changed more quickly, challenged us more dramatically uh, from our lives at home, our professional lives, children, uh, you know, what's it going to be like next year? So there's, there's a lot of reasons for people to be uncertain, uneasy about things like, what's my job going to be like? How are my kids going to be able to get along? Am I going to be able to get on an airplane? You know, blah, 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 all these different things like that. And I think that Christian, you've provided here with some of these universal truths, a good framework for people to think about, right? We can apply it at multiple levels, you know, as leaders, as people in an organization, what we want to push for, and just broadly, and, you know, uh, whether, you know, you've sort of laid out a roadmap here for how I attack my job, how I start a new company, how I just try to live my life in a more productive and interesting way in very uncertain times. So I think it was, I think it was great on multiple levels. Well, I thank you for that. And, you know, given a chance to, uh, you know, kind of get into detail, because I know this was kind of a high level kind of a, a conversation where we explored sort of this, uh, you know, this initially uh, started exploring some of this, the soft side of technology, yeah. which is cool, right? Uh, if we had a chance to talk again in the future, I'd be so fascinated to, to share and, and, talk, and learn from you uh, thoughts on what are the models that incumbents uh, can embrace with the right cultural uh, mechanisms to develop the proper capabilities that allow them to compete 
with those new emergence in their respective industries. There is an answer for all this. this. The incumbents do not need to get thrashed in the marketplace. They do not need to find themselves dangling off the end of one S curve, trying to figure out what their next future is gonna be. There are three things they can do around a model, a culture, and then the capability in order to um, ensure their, uh, their successful rising market stars, if you will. And that would be something I would uh, love to uh, talk to you about in the future if you'd entertain it. I would entertain it. I'll tell you what, Christian, uh, we've seen it, you know, at sporting events that are televised. Now I'm going to propose to you right here on Cloud Wars Live. Will you become a monthly guest, one of our digital all-stars? Well, I, I, well, I'll tell you what, I would be honored to be a monthly guest. I, I'm unsure if I could ever claim the title of a digital all-star. <laughs> However, I would be delighted to be a monthly guest. So thank you for that invitation. Absolutely, positively, I would. Thank you. All right. So good, good, good. I'm people be happy to hear that. And Christian, I just want to say one last thing, my, my concluding comment here, because we talked about, um, you know, from your last comment there, that there are ways, these big companies, some of the incumbents, there are ways out of this for, you know, phenomenal success going forward. But I think just as, you know, I, I posed that, that uh, you know, metaphor of the woolly mammoth, two legs in the tar pit. Um, I, I remember Larry Ellison talking about that. He said, uh, there's a dinosaur called Archaeopteryx. And Archaeopteryx came along at a point when really whatever the dinosaur evolutionary scale or their model tipped dramatically and it had flight, it had claws, it had a bigger brain to body ratio than most of the others. And, uh, and as he put it, he said, you know, Archaeopteryx made life very miserable for, you know, many of the other dinosaurs that couldn't do all the things that Archaeopteryx could do, but it took with it forward a lot of the things that past dinosaurs had rolled them up into a new model and just looked at and engaged with the world in a very different way. So um, these big companies, I think, have phenomenal opportunities to harness their past, their legacies, their capabilities, their relationships, their knowledge, their people, but they've got to attack the world in a different way. And I think your models there of, you know, understand fear, be able to uh, drive empathy in the organization, have leadership that puts those things all into the right context and unleashes that capability that so many people in an organization have and are desperate to put into practice and the right sort of leadership will let that flourish. Well, you, you actually summed it up and said it better than I ever did. So <laughs> I was just echoing back things you had said, my friend, but well, Christian, thank you so much. This is a, a phenomenal, uh, you know, return for you and an entree for your series. And we'll have to think about, you know, uh, should it be, you know, Anschutz on leadership or on universal truths? These are all things we can uh, hammer out in conversations to come. Well, it'd be, again, truly my pleasure. And, and Bob, I loved, uh, you know, I just love our chance to uh, talk and explore. If, if there's one thing that we all need to do, and I don't think we do enough of in this world, is we need to spend some time thinking, mm -hmm. just alone in our thoughts. And I'm not talking about thinking about, like, soundbite thinking i'm like deep thought about some important things and you know if for your listeners and your your viewers here I, I i know they're very thoughtful and they're very circumspect about their time and so they spend time with you because they get good uh, really good thought leadership from you i i hope that uh, they tell two friends and then they tell two friends <laughs> we grow that uh, that group of attentive listeners that's wonderful, Christian. Great dot. Great wrap up. Thanks a million for being with us and look forward. Uh, we'll get some things on the schedule and look forward so much to having a chance to chat with you next month. Thank you so much. Best of you. 
And thanks to all of you folks. It's always a pleasure to have you here at Cloud Wars Live as Christian and I are recording this episode. It's November 30th. We're about to step into the final month of the year. Uh, holiday season, things changing. Some seems to be some optimism about things that could affect, uh, you know, vaccines or disease. So good stuff coming after a pretty tough year. And we're trying to roll all these things forward. We want to thank all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. We value your time, as Christian said, and hope that uh, these conversations give you something special to think about during some challenging times. So thank you all for being with us.